Angeles. This is Amanda Yates Garcia, Oracle of Los Angeles, and you are listening to the Oracle Hour on Keichung Radio. And I have a very, very, very special guest with me today, Melanie Griffin. Hi. And she is an artist, an herbalist, an all-around amazing person. And thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So... I just want to make sure. Could you say check, check, check? Check, check, check. Okay, good. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice. You're an artist and herbalist, and what, like, what are you working on at the moment? Sure. Um, a little bit about myself. Yeah, I don't know. I've been making art since I was a kid, but I think it's just been in the last few years that I'm starting to feel comfortable again being like I'm an artist and and not feeling too caught up most of the time and feeling like I have to prove that or that that has to mean like certain narrow things um so yeah it's it's not like how I make my money but I feel committed to making art um I love making art also it's hard uh I find it really rewarding and uh, yeah, in terms of what I'm, I'm working on right now, I'm actually mostly working on a, a commissioned textile piece project for somebody, and um, I just started this fellowship called Atlantis Edge. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. There's a lot of cool artists working on that, like I think Ed, Edgar Fabian Frias is um, working on it. I'm unfamiliar. It's really, it's new. We just had our first, um, we've had two sessions now, so I haven't memorized everyone's name but it's it's an exciting thing it's like a the sort of i don't i don't want to say tagline but it's a autonomous um pedagogical is that the word yeah Yeah. platform so so it's sort of like being an art school but it's free and it's not attached to an institution and the problems that can come with being an institution and it's got a specific kind of anti-oppression um poc centered framework and like radical politic framework that I really appreciate. So I'm super psyched to be involved with them. And what else do I have going on art wise? What are you going to do for them? Do you know like what you, how, what your involvement is going to look like? Oh, so the way it works is like, it's kind of like being in school. So I'm, I'm a fellow in the sense that there's a group of us, maybe like 20 of us and we get a mentor and we work on a project over six months and we go to workshops and seminars and um stuff like that so i you know i'm going to be learning in this kind of cohort and uh hopefully securing a mentor soon and um yeah working on a project that's so cool what are you like how did you get involved with this i heard about them when maybe you can maybe you know this woman there was a person who did a workshop that was actually in human resources that was called maybe what was, was it johanna yes johanna hedva yeah yeah she, she's been on the show in theory yeah yeah so i like read that on facebook and i was like whoa this seems so cool i really identify with this because I've, I've been like a chronically ill person since i was six years old and have have had a lot of experiences with illness and I'll probably talk about that more because that's how I got into herbalism um but so yeah I saw her share her writing and that's maybe the first time I heard of Atlanta's Edge and then um another artist 
who's a friend of a good friend of mine whose name is Andre. I don't know what his last name is, but he reached out to me, which was awesome, and was like, hey, are you interested in this? And I had been. I'd been thinking, like, oh, I want to get involved because, I've, you know, I'm, I've been debating whether to go to art school and go to an MFA program for years. I go back and forth and back and forth, and I really... Uh, I really love learning and learning in like a structured environment because I need that and uh, I I want like I want that but I don't want to be in more debt so you know I know just... it's so hard all of those things are really hard like even going back to what you were talking about just even at the very beginning like this idea of like who gets to call themselves an artist mm -hmm. and like what but really so much about the sort of like internalized vision of like what an artist should be totally. because really probably nobody's standing around being like you aren't allowed to call yourself an artist yeah. but I think we all a lot of us encounter that feeling of like how much work do you have to produce yeah. in order to be considered totally. an artist or like how much money do you have to make from it in order mm -hmm. to be considered an artist and then, like, do you have to go to school? Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us, like, conceptually think, no, of course you don't have to. Yeah. Like, you, you, you shouldn't have to. But on the other hand, we also simultaneously like feel like we do. Yeah. And then also there's the idea that, like, for me, like, I did go to grad school and I, I got a lot of, like, all the things that you say that you were wanting, you know, like, the time to do my work, like, mm -hmm. structured, like, um time because I also am like really not good without structure mm -hmm. but then now I'm in like so much debt that I'll never yeah. be able to repay so I, I feel you on that yeah and I think I moved to LA two and a half years ago and it was just like so many people I uh was meaning either were in an MFA program or had been in an MFA program and so it like reignited basically since I graduated college 10 years ago I go back and forth between wanting to go to an MFA program wanting to go to acupuncture school or some sort of like healing modality school mm -hmm. and I just like go back and forth and I've never made a decision mm -hmm. mostly because of money mm -hmm. and um yeah and I got to LA and I was like wow like I really kind of felt intimidated at first because it just felt like everyone was in art school or had gone to art school um for graduate studies and yeah I, I had that feeling of like well do I get to call myself an artist do I get to can I how can I take myself seriously if I haven't like devoted the time in this specific way um to making art and I think that I've made some strides in the last I've made some big strides emotionally in the last few years and sort of claiming that that space for myself like no I do get to call myself an artist like even if fucking like 75 percent of the time i'm not making art because i'm like to the <laughs> like i still get to call myself an artist yeah. because like i i it's something even if it's periodically that i've done for a long time and it's something i care a lot about and i think with with a letting giving myself permission to claim that title then it gets a little easier to do the things that make it more true or something yeah I feel like so much of being an artist or you know being a magical practitioner is really about claiming authority for oneself and mm -hmm. not having to like to ri rising up against the authorities that surround us that imply that like we don't have a right to say we are anything or mm -hmm. even healers like 
you know, be like to 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 say one is something is a way of making it true. Totally, it's like the connection of like intention and like naming something is very powerful. And because it's like after a while, if I, I mean, and it's kind of like fake it till you make it. Like if I say it enough, eventually, even myself who you know struggles without structure and like procrastinates and has all the fear and all the anxiety eventually I'm going to be like okay well if I'm telling everyone I'm an artist then I should get to work (laughs) (laughs) right make some things and it encourages me to just like think about things in the way that um artists do you know where you ask questions and you try to like make patterns and connections and um so yeah just by like like with magic like just by the naming and the intent there starts to follow this um behavior and there starts to follow like synchronicity and things like that yeah things open up for you and also though I think two things that I feel like a lot of people who I know who do have like graduate degrees in art and who are supporting themselves as artists also feel like they're not (laughs) you know like that there's a lot of I just I wonder where that comes from this idea that like some people are allowed to say they are and some people aren't I mean, I think (sighs) I'm really on this, like, uh, how should I say this? I'm really on this, like, I'm going to be critical of myself just for a moment. No, scratch that. I'm not. I'm I'm really on this thing where I'm just like, man, capitalism. I blame capitalism. And and a lot of other, like, systems, uh, you know, like, big systems and institutions that are oppressive because it's, like, for 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 powers like let's say just like I don't know banks or credit cards like I don't know I'm just what I'm trying to really get to is that feeling of not feeling enough Mm -hmm. and how like institutions and like power with a capital P or whatever is invested in people not feeling enough you know what I mean it like serves the man or whatever for us to not feel like we're enough and so it's like it's so easy to internalize that stuff. And I've internalized so much of it. Like I'm not, I don't make enough to be an artist. I'm not, you know, I don't work enough. I'm not productive enough. That's something I really struggle with in terms of art or like all of the things I'm like, I don't do this enough to claim this thing or I don't know, but I think, yeah. Yeah. It's a way of really internalizing or kind of individualizing a problem that's systemic right making it seem like it's our own fault that we're like exhausted or overwhelmed Mm -hmm. for instance like i do make my living now through my magical practice but i also feel like i never do it enough Mm -hmm. and it's like well come on like how much do you have to do it to feel like you have to do it that you're doing it enough and sometimes though I like to today for example like I I felt very overwhelmed and I kind of was just sort of like laying there mm-hmm. trying to be like you need to write this you need to do this you need yeah. to sort things out and there's a feeling constantly of overwhelm because of feeling like you know what if I don't make enough money what if mm-hmm. I don't save enough money for retirement what if I can't pay off my student loans mm-hmm. and all of those things seem like they're really one's own fault like mm-hmm. I sit there and be like why can't you get your shit together but then it's not like when you think of something like retirement or like how paying off your student loans or mm-hmm. paying your rent, which is yeah. what we were talking about before the show started. 
is like doubled or tripled for most people in the past few years. Yeah. That, that's not your personal problem. Yeah, yeah. Or it's your a, personal it's a failure. thing. And, and what if it didn't have to be that way? You know, like what if, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Overwhelming. I know, yeah. But I do think that's why it's important to like record and document people's, like for instance, yours experience or my experience to remind us that it's not just us yeah. being unproductive that any yeah. you know that we're all that we're bodies it's true because i mean the funny thing is right like i can say this to you and i can like in one part of my brain know that like oh melanie that feeling of like beating up on yourself because you don't feel like you're productive enough like that's bullshit and that's like a symptom of a sick system that is invested in you feeling this way so that you, you know, have to live at this certain level where you're always trying to catch up and work hard and, like, have debt and, like, put money in other people's pockets just to exist. And I can know that, but then on this, like, emotional level, it, it can feel like I'll never know that. And, like, right, totally. it's always going to be my fault and, like, what's the point, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's really about, like, connecting to people to remind ourselves, like, oh, it's not just me that feels that way. And, like, if we can support each other... Like it will be easier, kind of like what you you guys are doing with the Lands End project, right? Like Lands Edge, Land, Lands Edge, yeah. yeah. Like supporting each other and getting an education that you know. For me, like the thing that was most rewarding about my education was the people that I met mm-hmm. and the relationships that I had with my professors Mm -hmm. so if you're getting strong relationships with your mentors and you're meeting other people who are co-creating a community with you then yeah yeah, why spend the $80,000 yeah I mean I hope that I'm I'm really excited about the program because it seems it's six months but then it um I think the idea is that it becomes this community that is growing together and like thinking together and creating together and in dialogue and it started I believe with this woman Michelle Dizon I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name actually which I feel embarrassed by but um <laughs> she was a professor at Cal Arts and had been there a while and was well loved and really filling in some gaps in terms of like critical thinking around like power structures and race and gender and class and stuff and people loved her and then uh, there was a space for someone to get tenured and she didn't uh, get it. And, you know, she's a woman of color. And I think that it, I don't know the full story. I, I just know what she talked about in the introduction um, meeting that we had. But it seems like it was a fucked up thing. And so she left but wanted to continue working with these students. And that's how this started. And so. The, all that is just to say that, what is my point here? Just like, oh, here's this institution, this thing that we want, this like gatekeepery thing, you know, and then like there's a issue of like a glass ceiling or like discrimination and and the those systems that are kind of holding people back, but then out of that, yeah, like connecting, supporting each other, like learning and growing despite that outside of those frameworks. Yeah, like, if we all knew that we could that we could live and thrive and flourish without participating in the capitalist system, like, would we feel the need to do it? Like, would we still feel the need to yeah. participate? Yeah. You know, the thing is about capitalism 
is that it's also extraordinarily tempting. Oh, yeah. Like, all the bling things. Oh, yeah. And I want all the things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the, I've been thinking about this a lot. I call it the capitalism snake. Okay, bear with me. Because I have a, I actually have a quote. I have a piece about this where it's like, I call it the capitalism snake because I was thinking about this. It's very seductive. And it's also so enmeshed, right, in, like, everything we do. And there's no... Like, I can talk about it being bad, but, and, you know, there's so many parts of it that are bad, and so many people's lives who are being lost and living terribly because of, like, the products we use. But it's like, I have a smart, you know, like, yeah. we have smartphones, and we all, like, eat the food that we do and don't know where it comes from or who's picking it. And, but it's, but it's very seductive and slippery, and, uh, you know, it's, like, shiny, and, but the, and so I was thinking about this, and I, I call it capitalism snake, but then I was like, no, but wait, the snake is like an ancient, powerful, like, um, wise feminine snake. divinity, yeah. yeah, wise, like, like able to grow and shed its skin, like, has so much meaning, I didn't want to ha- let the snake just be... Right, to sully the snake with yeah, capitalism. With capitalism. <laughs> but then I was thinking how that's what capitalism does, too, though. It takes something powerful, right? And, and the, the, like what consumerism and capitalism, it takes powerful, beautiful things and then it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It like packages them up and, and sells them to people. It like co-ops, it's, everything's constantly being co-opted and then sold. But then also like the snake, people, like I think about this a lot with like black people, like black diaspora like has been so amazing despite like hundreds and hundreds of years of anti-black violence and genocide has been so amazing at like creating the most beautiful amazing genius culture and it gets co-opted but then we take it and we do this other thing with it so it's like capitalism co-ops these things it's seductive we want it and sometimes we take it but then sometimes we can like reclaim it and make it our own again and then it's like this Ouroboros cycle that um of like flowing uh, power and flowing uh, yeah I don't know but that's an image that I have I try to kind of work on in this quilt called rich it's called rich powers SSS greater than symbol rich life that sounds awesome Thanks. where can we see this mm, nowhere <laughs> in, in my ex's house <laughs> so well I do hope that even though you are feeling overwhelmed that you are able to make my work because it sounds really amazing thank you um but so it sounds like you've mentioned a couple times that you work a lot with textiles is that what your main practice is yeah that's my main practice for the last few years um embroidery quilting uh fabric collage and drawings and did you just sort of pick that up and start doing it since you were a kid or did you like work with a specific person or were you specifically inspired by a specific group or or artist or like how did you learn to do it just through practice yeah well what happened was um uh, the last let's see the, the last like uh six seven years i've had maybe like 15 surgeries or something like that and after one of my surgeries, I was recovering, and my friend Jimmy 
at Bones, who is also an art witch, mm-hmm. um, brought over some embroidery stuff and like a little book about how to embroider. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's when I started embroidering. So that was like six years ago or something like that. And I just really fell in love with it because, um, I mean, I love color and I love patterns and I love clashing patterns. And it's something you can do when you're hanging out with people. It's something you can do in bed. So it was just a great medium. It was a very flexible medium that I could take with me anywhere. I didn't. I used to paint in college, and I love painting, but I haven't had really the space to do it in the way that I was used to doing it. So this was a thing I could, I could be working on anywhere. You know what strikes me about that that's really fascinating is how... I hadn't really thought before about how a medium, an, art, an artistic medium, could also imply, like, a way of, like, relating to people. But, mm-hmm. like, having embroidery, classical, feminine art, right? Mm-hmm. But it's being something that is done, that can be done sitting there with other people. Whereas mm-hmm. you see, think of, like, the sort of idea of the painter as a mm-hmm. sort of, like, romantic, isolated figure mm-hmm. kind of doing this thing off in his studio yeah totally. um, i love that idea of, of embroidery as being something that's like social. collective social relational yeah and i think it also made me think of like there's this somewhere i was reading about how audrey lord talked about poetry as sort of like a working class woman's medium because it's something i'm pretty sure i mean i have a terrible memory but i'm pretty sure she said this mm. um but it's something that can be done in between, you know? It's like, yeah, it's not this thing that you have to, like, have all this time for and go off and do by yourself, but it's something you can do after you drop your kids off in school. You can, like, sit down and, like, write part of a poem or write a poem, you know, like these short... So that's another thing that it makes me think of, and, like, yeah, it's cool to think about, like, how different mediums lend them... Yeah, are relational and lend themselves... Or, like, relational and contextual, just, like... Yeah, that they relate to how people actually live their mm-hmm. lives. I love that idea, uh, whether it's by Audre Lorde or whoever said that. I thought it came up with a, another guest I had on the show, Stuart Krimko, who's a poet. And yeah, he said that he would do his poetry before going to work. And I hadn't really thought of that before, but that it's true that like if you're a novelist, like most of the people I know who have written novels... Well, when you think of like the classic novelist, like the you have to take so much time off mm-hmm. and like, like be alone, be alone, yeah. and go like go deep into your soul and like beat out this novel. But like a lot of people just don't have the time realistic to do that. Yeah. Way to do that. Like in fact, a friend of mine who just published like this really big novel and congratulations to her, Jade Chang. You should buy the novel. It's called The Wings Versus the World. But she got laid off from work and then so she collected unemployment and really busted mm. out the novel then but if she didn't like why yeah. would she have written it yeah so I love the idea of you choosing your medium like to create it as your medium as a sort of exemplar of your life of who you are of how you fit in and contextualize in the society that you're in and to make it a, a, a thing of strength rather than like a like a an apology. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the embroidery I can do socially, and I like that because I'm a very social person. And I, when I think about writers and I think about them, like, just, like, having to be alone and being quiet, I'm intimidated by that. And, like, I, I respect that a lot. I wish that I could 
do that more like I like writing too but but anyways the other parts of making the stuff that I make is usually more like I'm at home you know and on a table like mm-hmm. piecing fabric together and stuff but um but it's still sort of not <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's not as hard as writing but it's something I can do and also like watch tv or like listen to a podcast mm-hmm. or like and I really love that it's one of my favorite things to do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my practice is mostly writing, and I hate it so much (laughs) because I can't listen to a podcast, I can't even listen to music, and also the worst thing about writing for me, like, the worst part about it is that you're sitting all the time, and I hate sitting, like, I wish that I had a different practice, but you get so deep into it, and you're like, well, I can't just abandon it now, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to another song break. Um, we were listening to Melanie Griffin, an amazing artist and herbalist. And this is the Oracle Hour. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how Melanie came to study herbs and her practice as an art witch, her spiritual practice, and all of that good stuff. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Awesome. So let's check this out. Let's see where we can do this. Uh,
Melanie Griffin, artist, poet, not poet yet, <laughs> herbalist. So as promised, we we're going to talk about yeah, how you came to herbalism. I mean, you had mentioned a couple of times already that you had been sick, that you'd had all these operations, that yeah. you'd been chronically ill all your life. Yeah. What, what's that about? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I was six, I was hospitalized. So basically when I was six, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and then later with fibromyalgia. And then, so I used to go to the doctor every month and take all sorts of, you know, take steroids and all this stuff. And then as a teenager, I, I got sick all the time and was very depressed. And then when I got my period, I immediately had horrible cramps and had period problems. I had a ruptured cyst and um, later on, found out I had very bad endometriosis. Um, so I've just practically my whole life had a lot of health problems and saw a lot of doctors and, you know, been in the hospital a lot. And when I was 18, I sort of just got sick of dealing with doctors. And I was kind of like, I hate doctors. They're like cops, like they're body cops. They think they know everything. They don't listen to people. And that's when I started... Uh, just on my own I went, I went to college at this lefty small liberal arts college called Antioch in this town called Yellow Springs and they had an herb shop and I'd go to the herb shop and I would just like I didn't know anything I would just like you know pick up things so this was like it's 2016 this was like 12 years ago or something like that I'd go to the herb shop pick up things and I started getting books and and I just started, yeah, I started learning about herbs because I was just frustrated with um, allopathic medicine, with Western medicine, and I just started sort of experimenting intuition, intuitionally, <laughs> if you, you know what I'm trying to say. I started experimenting with herbs, and over time, I'm not someone who does something sort of like, I'm just constantly studying it. Like I'll be like really into it and I would study and read books and then sort of be doing other things and then come back to it, come back to it. Um, and then in New York, I lived in New York for eight years. There's a place called Third Root. It's a natural health community center. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's uh, cooperatively owned, and they have yoga, they have acupuncture, and they have a herbal education program. 
And so um, I took all three levels of their herb classes. So I learned more about herbs like that. And it's just something that I, yeah, I got into because I wanted, and I will say, you know, when, when I was younger, I was like, fuck doctors. And then kind of during the period that I was in these herb classes, I realized I couldn't live in that extreme. And like, I'm a big, like, I'm all about natural medicine and herbs, but I'm also someone who never wants to, I think we talked about this in the workshop, like I never want to shame people or be like holier than thou or some kind of natural medicine purist like I think people should do what feels good to them and what works for them because I really had to learn that like I couldn't only do natural medicine like I also had had to see doctors and have surgeries and take um medicine right now and or medicine sometimes I said right now because I'm taking antibiotics right now um (laughs) but uh yeah well so have you found did you have you found that the herbs really help or how do they help how do they work for you herbs it's funny sometimes people will ask me that like do you and my first response is this weird thing where I'm like do they (laughs) because it's almost almost more they do 100 like totally right but almost more than the physical help of herbs is sort of like an emotional spiritual one of just like the practice of like making a cup of tea for myself and trying to figure out what herbs I want and learning about them I find that so comforting and um like sometimes I'll make like I'm really grateful in a lot of ways for all my illnesses because that's how I've learned about herbs and that's how I've learned about a lot of things and I think a lot of my compassion comes from being sick and sometimes I'll make a blend for myself and I'll only drink it a couple of times you know what I mean and like sure herbs can help with acute problems but a lot of times I'm taking herbs that are like more nourishing herbs that should be taken over time but just in that moment that's still so healing and like I mean I really think that like you know plants are living beings with personalities and and like intellect and like love and their own spiritualities you know what I mean and they like I feel like that is imparted to me when I have a cup of tea and and so beyond it being like okay it's not like I cured my endometriosis with herbs I didn't you know I had to have a hysterectomy but yeah I had a hysterectomy two years ago oh my gosh um but I have developed this relationship you know like I may may, I've cured other things you know like I can like ward off a cold or flu or like ward off a UTI sometimes or like, you know what I mean like I've helped a lot of things for myself and other people but it's almost more about just that like <laughs> it's like an emotional dialogue with the plant where they're like where it's just comforting and like that's me taking time to make this thing for myself is very healing mm. and um, very like enriching yeah, well, I guess like in Vedic or in Ayurveda, I think I've read that the, it's a holistic relationship that you have. Like, so you know how like in allopathic medicine, you're supposed to take this pill and it goes inside, but in Vedic and Ayurvedic medicine, like tasting it is important. Smelling mm-hmm. it is important. Like making it like your whole relationship with the plant or the substance mm-hmm. is like a total relationship it's not just like get it in you mm-hmm. and forget about it mm-hmm. just hope that it works and it you know that your problems go away yeah. I, mean, I am totally conflicted too about 
like Western medicine because on one hand, for instance, like it's nice to like if you have a viral infection or I guess a bacterial infection to be able to take antibiotics mm-hmm. and have it go away. Or if you have asthma to be able to take a inhaler and have it go away. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, it does seem like it doesn't really get at the root of the problem. Sure. A lot of which are systemic, going yeah. back to what we were talking about earlier, like yeah. environmental. Like what do you think your like do you feel like your health issues come from genetic like inheritance or is it like a mystery or is it environmental or I mean I think it's a lot of things right it's like all of those probably I am a sensitive person (laughs) with a sensitive body that really likes to communicate with me physically (laughs) really likes to tell me and I think it's also like my body communicates also my you know, feelings that I have a hard time. I mean, definitely one of those people, like, the period when I first started learning about herbs, like, 10, 12 years ago, I got into all of these, like, I was really into this author, Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. There's a lot of problematic things about this line of thinking. I don't think people are responsible for their sick. Like, it's not anyone's fault that they're sick. And that sort of, like, you can, like, manifest wellness with different thinking ignores systemic oppression and it ignores power structures but I don't want I don't I'm like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater I do think that like there are like emotional patterns and thinking patterns that affect our bodies because it's a whole body right our brain is connected to our body we have we have um what is it people talk about like there's all sorts of like nerves and like things that are thinking not just in our brain like in our stomach you know everywhere it's all connected and so I definitely think that like I have um, I'm someone who has a hard time like communicating or processing certain feelings um and instead of me like processing them and getting them out like I get sick you know and so and then so that ties into the fact that like also I have you know, trauma and PTSD just from, like, being a black woman in America, and then I also genetically carry the trauma and PTSD of, like, my ancestors who were enslaved or lived through Jim Crow, you know what I mean? Like, ancestral, um, I'm losing the phrase right now. Trauma? Yeah, ancestral trauma and epigenetics. Right, right, epigenetics. Is, like, a real thing, and I definitely think, you know, like, a, a lot of the women in my family have had problems with their reproductive organs a lot and then you know it also ties into like western medicine is totally problematic and fucked up in so many ways but also can be helpful you know it's both and right because mm-hmm. it's like black people get treat. you know i've i've received good treatment and i've also received really bad fucked up treatment that definitely felt racist and it's also like a statistically proven thing that like you know certain poor women black women are encouraged to get hysterectomies and like there's this legacy of like certain people receiving certain kinds of treatment so it's just like cycles and circles of like this in this connected gym jamble of like genetic environmental like emotional um all of the things and sometimes it feels valuable to like try to figure it out and then sometimes i'm like i don't know <laughs> you know it just is this way and like what can i learn from it you know, if I'm in a, like, good place, like, okay, what is, 
what is my body trying to tell me? What do I need to do from this? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to? I get UTIs a lot, mm-hmm. and um, uh, there's some people who say that that's about being pissed off. I have problems expressing anger a lot because of internalized like misogynoir, and so that feels like I'm not allowed to be mad because I'll be like an angry black woman. So I've, you know, instead of like being angry outwardly, it is turned inwardly, and I get depressed and I get UTIs, and it fucking sucks. But um, but I'm as much as I hate it, I'm also really thankful that my body is telling me that. You know, it's like I can be like, okay, this is a thing that I have to work on. I was really struck by in your workshop, which you led at the Women's Center for Creative Work, the Let, you, Let the Earth Help You Hold It workshop, which was an amazing workshop. Thank you. Um, on herbalism and um, dealing with trauma and systemic oppression, specifically for women of color, right, in support of them. But it was open to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I was very grateful to be there. But um, I was really impressed with the way that you facilitated that group and like really created a safe space for everyone or you know tried to and uh, but I was also very struck by you know the stories of the women of color in the group who were talking about their experience with the medical establishment that I was unaware of how just how many women had these really horrible stories of like not being taken seriously mm-hmm. and so you felt like you experienced that well you said you, you had, seemed like you had good doctors and bad doctors or yeah I mean it's it's hard to even tell right and that's a really fucked up thing about any kind of oppression and a really fucked up thing about racism is like even if you don't know if it's happening there's this thing weighing over you that like maybe that's why right like, that's almost just it might as well be happening right even if it's not it's happening because you're feeling as if it could be in this way that's like affecting you as if it is and so but yeah i've had doctors i've had two like major times where i've gone to the er basically because my kidneys were failing and where doctors were like did not believe me you know accused me of seeking drugs like didn't take me seriously we're kind of like why are you like one doctor was like why i don't understand why you're here and i was just like uh <laughs> because <laughs> my kidneys are failing <laughs> yeah and it's, it's fucked up because that kind of thing uh discourages people from going to get help when they need like i really needed to be at the doctor then you know what i mean that was like herbs were not going to help me at that point like I needed I needed surgery and I needed help and so it's it's really sad to think about um people in those positions of power who are supposed to be helping people treating people that way and then you know I remember that visit the visit that sort of led up to my hysterectomy I I was like I don't want to go I don't want to go because if it's not happening they're going to be fucked up to me and like I just can't deal with that and you know I kind of procrastinated going and then I went and then the doctor was totally fucked up and like but then the you know I got the test results in and he was like oh okay yeah you have to stay here we have to like um yeah yeah you have to stay here and so it's it sucks because you're at the mercy like a very terrifying operation that has huge repercussions for you and you're at the mercy of this person who you don't trust yeah who is like belittling you yeah and I mean I I mean I ended up going to a different hospital for the procedure but yeah it's 
It's fucked up. And I think I actually would like to like I have a friend that I want to talk to this about because I mean, there's so much trauma that can happen in hospitals with people. And like, you know, my experience as a black woman type of person, because I like partly identify as one, partly don't. But like, that's an that's one experience. And then, you know, it's even worse for like trans people and um, the intersection of, you know, being a person of color and trans, like they get treated even worse. And so I've been thinking and then. This is, I'm jumping all over the place a little bit, but I've been thinking about um, rituals for sort of like when you have to be in those places, like how That's to make a great it feel idea. okay. Yeah. Specifically when you get surgery and you're under anesthesia because it's like someone's entering your body. There, there's like a, the like one of the most ultimate boundaries is being broken like your skin is being cut and you're being entered and there's a way that even though you sign a thing and you consent to it that afterwards it feels as if you've been violated because it's like I don't know what happened to me while I was like out you know what I mean like I don't know like maybe you know you see these stories I can barely look at them of people like saying fucked up things to people while they're like under and I'm just like I don't even want to know if someone said something I know it's horrifying to think about and so I was I sometimes think like it would be good to have a sort of ritual that was about like a boundary but also like a consent of like okay body like this is what's about to happen and like I give a deep consent to that and I'm putting this sort of like protective barrier to not absorb like fucking people's bullshit while I'm in this vulnerable state because I've I've been under anesthesia like, no joke, like, I don't know, so many times, like, 17 times, and I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know, I feel like it's impacted me, and I, I, maybe that there's some, like, ritual that could be done to help that. Well, I feel like you must be a good shaman by now, because you've gone into the underworld so many times and come back to tell the tale, but, so we are running quickly out of time, but I wanted to get a chance to maybe talk about, like, two or three of your favorite herbs, like, the ones that, like, you found really helpful, one that you've mentioned in your workshop, oat straw, I've been using, and I love, it feels so nourishing, it feels so strengthening and vivifying, and I recommend it to a lot of my clients, Nice. I wonder, I had a client today who his adrenals seem to be depleted. I wonder if you know of any of that. I think I've heard Tulsi. Yeah, right? Tulsi, nettles. How um, do you take Tulsi? Licorice. I take it in a tea form. It's delicious. You just throw like a couple tablespoons? Yeah, I like to mix it with um, rose, nettles. Just like rose petals, you could just put rose petals or rose hips or rose petals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like ro- rose petals and Tulsi together are very, very good. Um, but yeah, that's something I actually have been thinking a lot about and want to do more research on. And I know some there's this herbalist, Kristen Hale, who is awesome and does a lot of like political herbalist work, and she has a workshop on adrenal stuff that I wish I'd gone to take before she moved, but I want to do more work around that. Because yeah. our adrenals get so depleted mm-hmm. in this hectic, stressful world. It's true. And I think that, like, I'm more, I know more specifically about, like, n- 
like herbs for supporting the nervous system and some of those overlap in terms of specifically supporting the adrenals but i really want to learn more about building the adrenals up but i know that yeah tulsi nettles licorice but licorice is something that people should be a little careful with like if you have um certain if you have any sort of serious illness, you should look into it before taking oh, it. Oh, really? Regularly. Yeah, like people with diabetes. Because um, it has a sweet, it has like a glucose effect? Yeah, I mean, I'm not good at remembering the technical parts of this stuff, but it's like something that can help if you're, it can help if your diabetes is like not too serious, right. if you're pre-diabetic, but if you're at a certain point, it's not something you should play with or like, there's some uh, there's some other conditions that so look you just it up have to be careful. You. Yeah, that's good advice. Well, so I think that we're running out of time, but I would love to. I'm gonna have to get you back sometime, and we'll have to go and deep dive into the yeah. stuff. I'm just gonna give a shout out to lemon balm. That's yeah, lemon balm is the, the the big one, right? Yeah. Because it's all about anti anxiety mm-hmm. and like replenishing and like keeping us happy. And yeah, yeah. All right, great. Shout out to Lemon Mom. Thank shout you. And a major shout out to Melanie. Thank you so much for yeah. coming in. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So if anybody wants to see your work or get in touch with you or learn more about your herbal practice, like what do you suggest? Um, well, you can follow me on Instagram uh, to see some of my work. Not very much. At Melanie underscore Griffin underscore. Um, also on Instagram is ms. M-A-U-V-E, Ms. Mav, and you can, yeah, send me a message on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye.